James Chan is a senior healthcare leader from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. He has held both clinical and management roles in health systems for over 20 years and has worked in all health sectors to plan programs, improve operations, and redesign services. James has a BA with honors and a focus on industrial organizational psychology from Simon Fraser University, a master's degree in counseling and educational psychology from the University of British Columbia, and a PhD in health sciences from UNBC with a focus on health system measurement and evaluation. In addition, James has an extensive professional background in business and management and is a certified lean black belt. His research interests include industrial organizational psychology, quality improvement, operations research, mental health and addictions, and knowledge exchange and transfer. He's published articles, professional reports, and book chapters in various scientific literature. Currently, James is the Director of Innovation at the Sioux Area Hospital in Ontario, where he's responsible for health records, registration, medical affairs, data analytics, and research departments. He is also a sessional faculty in the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University and a guest lecturer at the Health Quality Programs at Queen's University. James, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Alan. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. James, great to see you. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you, Josh. Amazing. So, uh, James, where I wanted to start the conversation, uh, the director of innovation role in hospitals is still relatively new, um, at least here in Ontario. And I'm curious, how would you define your mission within the organization and maybe how did you end up in this role? Well, maybe I'll start with the back part of your question, Alan. And the way I kind of ended up here is a bit of a securitist route. As you've heard from my bio, I have a lot of different experience in healthcare. And in British Columbia, where I come from, the title of Director of Innovation isn't all that new. A lot of times it's paired with quality. And that's where I have an extensive background in terms of quality, quality improvement, not only in healthcare, but in uh, the airline industry as well. And so that's how I you know, started to venture into different areas of health, the healthcare industry, because quality is everyone's job and it touches every sector. And from there, when I saw the posting here in Sierra Hospital for a director of innovation, I was immediately attracted to it because it also allowed me to venture out into different realms uh, beyond quality in its traditional sense, insofar as having the mandate of bringing new technologies and other innovations to the hospital and its operations. So I think that might uh, touch on the first part of your question as to what my my uh, mission here is, and the mission of the hospital in general is, of course, to provide outstanding care, and to do that, we need to innovate, and we need to be on the cutting edge of all things that are innovative, not only technologically, but other aspects as well, such as, you know, uh, systems redesign and so on, so I hope that answers the question fully. Mm -hmm. No, that's excellent, and, and maybe to set the stage for innovation for our audience members, you know, you've been leading the Seamless MD charge at the hospital for um, over a year now, and Sioux Area Hospital is in Northern Ontario. Could you tell us a little bit more about the patient population it serves, and maybe an example of like what percentage of the population is remote? Yeah, we're located north of Toronto. I think it's about an hour and a half by flight, and in the map, it's not all that north, but essentially we are considered a northern community. It has a population of about 75,000 people. The city is a border town, it borders Michigan State. And in that sense, it has a lot of variety and a lot to offer. I would tell you that, you know, 
there's beautiful surroundings here. It's a wonderful area. A lot of people, uh, you know, would consider this cottage country. Mm -hmm. And being on the shores of Lake Superior, it's, it's an outstanding landscape. What I would say in terms of the patient population we serve is it runs the gamut between urban and rural populations. So while the city proper is around 75,000 people, there are definitely outlying areas and different communities uh, surrounding this region that we serve. So we do have a quite, quite an extensive uh, percentage of rural patients that come to our hospital and clients. And there's also a considerable indigenous population that we also uh, help in any way we can. More specifically, I'd have to look at some statistics, but I think that gives it a flavor of the dynamic in this region. Yeah, James, lots of uh, diversity, many different ways in the population there, um, which uh, I mean, I think is important for us to keep in mind when we're you know, putting in new innovations, I guess, in the community. Um, obviously, COVID was one of the big drivers of innovation. And as Alan mentioned, you know, we've had the, the privilege of partnering with yourself and, and the hospital on implementing surgical remote monitoring, you know, with seamless MD during COVID. And, you know, your team has done this across a variety of clinical areas. So, you know, we've been rolling this out together in orthopedics, colorectal, obstetrics, gynecology, urology, and even more recently, HPV. Uh, I was just wondering, um, had your team been thinking about patient engagement and remote monitoring before COVID or was really, was COVID really the driver for, for making this happen? Well, you know, I think that COVID has definitely been, uh a conduit or, or, or an instigator of more innovation. Although the hospital here has been doing a lot of this kind of work for quite some time. I've been here a little over a year. And so I can't speak to details around the history of how much uh, of this type of work we were doing, but I can tell you that the Ontario um, Telehealth Network is an entity that's been around a long, long time. So I know that the hospital has done a lot of work around uh, telehealth in terms of cancer care, and I would probably, uh, you know, hazard a guess to say mental health as well. I, I know that's the case in British Columbia, you know, telehealth is very prevalent in, in mental health care, which is my clinical background, that's why I know that. But the, the hospital also was venturing into virtual care as well, and we have trialed some products like Seamless MD. Uh, you're not the first um, innovative technology we've we've uh, had a bit of a foray into, but I can certainly say our experience with Seamless MD has, has been excellent. And I think there's a, a bright future ahead for further innovation, further engagement, further development. Yeah, awesome. And so James, surgical remote monitoring or digital patient engagement in general is a fairly new concept in practice. How would you describe Seamless MD to someone new? The way I'd put it to someone who hadn't heard about Seamless MD before, I would summarize it by saying it's a way to stay connected to healthcare in a way that you may not have been able to in the past. So for example, you can receive all kinds of uh, coaching and support from your care team, no matter where you are. And that's the key thing that I think is really important to an area like ours, where we have people in rural areas who may not always uh, be able to get to the hospital, to come to a clinic, to do those face-to-face -face, uh, appointments. Travel is an issue. It's, it's not that simple for someone to uh, travel long distances. So 
this is where the technology really fills a gap because you can interact, you know, within reason. I don't want to say 24-7, but, you know, maybe one of these days it will be that extensive. But certainly they would get the kind of support uh, before and after a, a surgical episode, let's say, to, to be in touch with people, to get the kind of help, to kind of have their questions answered, to do all that pre and after care that's uh, so important, but not have to come to a bricks and mortar storefront, if you like, which, you know, I, I lose that term loosely, but that's kind of what a hospital is. Mm -hmm. It's a physical location. Well, this changes the game by making things accessible, uh, care accessible to people, um, accessible to people, no matter where they are. Right. That's fantastic to hear, James. And I, I guess going back to your comments earlier about the diversity of your population, it's, you know, some urban, some rural, the Indigenous population. I, I know actually as part of our, our work together, um, one of the unique things um, your hospital has done was actually um, include some Indigenous population-specific um, resources and education in, in your version of Seamless MD to make sure that we were reaching and supporting folks from, from many different backgrounds. So kudos to your team on, on being forward-thinking. I, I know some of our other partners in Ontario are, are now kind of you know being inspired by the work that you've done in that that part of the, the program to, to learn from that and, and hopefully incorporate similar innovations in their in their version of Seamless. So I just want to give you your team a kudos on I mean forward thinking around that. Well, thank you. Mm -hmm. and, and actually, James, just you know, speaking about the team, I think for a a new innovation, a digital technology to be successful, it really does take the entire team. And so I'm curious, how did you rally the team around a new innovation that really hits on all these different workflows and all these different stakeholders? Was there a committee or a task force that was formed for COVID efforts or how did you kind of inspire that change? Well, you know, I, I wish I could say it was that formal, but I think it was more grassroots, to be honest, in terms of uh, first responding to an opportunity by Ontario Health to submit a proposal to innovate in this regard. So we were very successful with that application. We're very thankful that we received funding to uh, go down this road. From there, it took uh, a few of us, really, uh, some directors, some uh, other folks like managers, and even patients got involved. We've really tried to create a team that is multifaceted, mm -hmm. that could help us co-design the implementation of Seamless MD and surgical transitions remote care monitoring to our hospital and the patients we serve. So it was really a team effort. I think uh, it's been a great team effort. I'm very thankful that everyone's come to the table and been so excited and enthusiastic about participating in this. I think one of the uh, you know, attractions is that it is new and exciting and it gets people, people's attention and it gets their enthusiasm and their passion uh, juices flowing so that they naturally want to try out new things. And I think the world is changing so fast that people see us living through this, you know, information age and technological epoch right before our eyes. Yeah. So to get involved with something like that at the grassroots level of the ground floor, I think is uh, one of the things that enticed people to get behind it. And, you know, the rest is history. We've, we've got a great uptake, the uh, providers, the surgeons, are involved, they like it. One of the keys to our success is that co-design piece where we are trying to meet with various stakeholders when it's convenient for them. So that means 7 a.m. meetings sometimes with the physicians because that's when they start their day and have the time 
to do planning with us. So you do have to have that flexibility and that uh, intent to purposefully co-design and develop things together as a team. And so that takes extra effort. And so far, everyone's been very um, cooperative in that regard. James, I think you you really touched on such critical points about how to make an innovation implementation successful. So the fact that you really made it a co-design experience. So, you know, like you mentioned, you you worked around the different stakeholder schedules. You've made sure that all the different clinicians, administrative staff uh, were involved and engaged. And, and I think even um, probably maybe most importantly, you actually made patients part of the co-design experience. I can tell you with some other partners, sometimes it's usually seamless saying, hey, we really need to involve some of your patients who've been through this journey at the hospital to co-design it. But the fact that that you recognize that early on and, and made it part of your, your framework, I think that that's incredibly powerful. And uh, and then we personally found that to be really impactful. Um, so it's a kudos to you on, on uh, being very forward thinking about that, that process. Of course, you know, before you go into that implementation of a new technology or innovation, um, often there are, you know, maybe things you're hesitant about or you're concerned, you know, uh, about just curious, like, was there anything going into it that you got feedback from the team on about things they may have been concerned or hesitant about? Well, I'd like to come back to something you just said, Josh, before I answer your last question there, but I think there is a, a movement in healthcare these days that is all about including the patients and clients that we serve in their own care so that they can participate in their health. If you think about healthcare in its development and the history of healthcare, you might characterize it as doing to others, right? Uh, oftentimes in the history, in my opinion, and I'm not alone in the literature says this as well, healthcare has been almost imposed, but definitely delivered to people as opposed mm -hmm. to designed with people. And in the last decade or so, I, I'm aware of a, what I would call a movement mm -hmm. in healthcare where we are trying to make a, a solid effort and a purposeful, you know, uh, with intention to include patients and clients in the co-design of their care. So what that looks like here is to have patient family advisory committees at various levels and in various sectors. So mental health would have a committee and so would uh, surgical services and so on, where we've tried to incorporate uh, patient advisors who are trained in providing feedback to the health system to help with things like this, implementing new technologies, co-designing care, uh, redesigning the care pathway, et cetera. So I think that's been very valuable to healthcare. And uh, I, again, I think it's a movement that uh, has not has just started to gain more momentum. Mm -hmm. Now, you just asked about some of the, the concerns. Uh, I, didn't, I can't really think of any serious concerns that were brought forward, but certainly the phasing and the implementation would be something that's of, of interest for anyone who's thinking about doing something like this. If you think about how to implement something new like this, there's a lot involved in it. If you were to take a textbook approach, you'd want to have fulsome change management and readiness assessments taking place. Sometimes that can be more informal and we can test the waters and, and understand our cultures and maybe go through some more formal processes like surveying the stakeholders and things like that. But essentially, you know, there's a lot to it. And, and moving beyond, you know, uh, readiness assessment and um, engaging people, there's the whole uh, machinery, I'll call it, or the the uh, task of actually putting something like seamless MD into place, the technology side, 
as well as you know explaining this to patients. There's a there's a nexus between technology and people that has to be addressed, right? And so we have to explain to our our patients that we would like to enroll what this is all about. And we have, I think, taken a, a you know the extra step of paying good attention to that, and being deliberate mm-hmm. about explaining the 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 app, the uh, service and how this is different than traditional service, if you like, and allowing patients to ask questions about what this is all about so that they know what they're signing up for. And then, of course, encouraging them to use the product and also uh, to you know, make sure that they're aware of all of, its, all of its functionality. So with all of those aspects that I just mentioned and summarized, really, there's a lot to implementing something like this and having a purposeful, systematic approach, I think has been really helpful to us. And right back at you, I have to, you know, provide kudos to Seamless MD because your company is very professional when it comes to this. You have good resourcing. You've got some very talented people that have helped us to systematically roll this out. Or I don't like that term because it implies, it implies that we're doing something too, right? So I would reframe that as, you know, working with people to implement something new. And I think that Seamless MD has provided great support for that, allowing a more systematic uh, approach. We cannot control everything. We cannot be perfect with the way we implement things. But I think our approach has been very, um, you know, purposeful, well thought out, thorough. And this is, I think, some of the contributing factors to our success. I absolutely love that, James. I think some some great nuggets in there, and I I love that you also um, you know earlier on really highlighted that shift in the co-design of the patient experience. I, I, it reminds me of um, when we first started. We would sit down next to patients and we would watch how they would interact with different parts of the platform, um, and even I think before we had the web-based version. Um, we, we kind of saw how there were some folks who, even if they had a, an iPad, they wouldn't know their Apple um, app store password. So they couldn't even download a new app, but they could use the browser version the, and, and get the email reminders. And so really, you know, those were things at the time years ago that we didn't anticipate. We always assumed if you had an iPad, of course, you're going to use apps, but it turns out that when you sit next to a patient and co-design it, you learn all kinds of things. So I love the fact that that's been a big part of, of the thinking at, at, in your team and the hospital. And then also, like, I, I actually love the fact that your team has been so systematic about your approach to the implementation. It's clear even from just talking to you, James, that it has been a very well thought out approach. And especially because your team has been implementing this innovation in many different clinical areas, I guess it's been important that you have a system. So that way you can have a repeatable, effective model for um, implementing it. And I'm sure also learning from that first one and then making iterations with in conjunction with our team. So I think that makes a lot of sense and a lot that other folks can learn from. Uh, as director of innovation at, at Syria Hospital, I know you know you were exposed to a lot of different innovations in healthcare technologies. Um, seamless aside, I guess Al and I were curious, are, are there one or two other you know projects you've been a part of that or maybe are, are going to be a part of soon that you're most excited about or you found to be the most um, impactful in the recent past? Well that's a good question. There's there's a lot going on and a lot we're trying to understand and, and keep uh, in front of mind in terms of possibilities, right? So yes, we live in a very fast-paced world. There are a lot of different products and companies out there in healthcare. It, it can be overwhelming, frankly. So what we try to do here is to you know be mindful of what's going on around us and in the world generally, 
and then to be selective about what we engage with. What we would hope to avoid is the chaos that can come along with overburdening the system. So we, we would want to avoid having, let's say in this case, too many apps running at the hospital. You know, it can be confusing to the public. It can be confusing to the patients if you know, we have an app for this and an app for that. And even for the providers and the, the system itself, it's hard to track all of that. So to do a good job, I think we have to be selective. And it also allows us not to spread ourselves too thin and to really come to know a product and do a complex implementation like what we're talking about here most successfully. You talked earlier about learning cycles. And I think that we've learned a lot in our experience to date, and we've got a lot to learn. It's important, I think, for, for anyone uh, or any organization wanting to do this to take the time to really do those plan, do study, act cycles you know, uh, with, with um, give it the, the time it deserves, right? A lot of times you'll see, and for those of you who may not be familiar with that, it's really the scientific method applied to improvement science, right? So we're taking a little experiment and we're planning it, then we're going to do it, then we're going to study the effects and then act on those results. And that iterative cycle helps us, you know, cumulatively to understand what we're dealing with and then learn and grow in iterative cycles so that you end up with, you know, a successful larger scale change. And where, where I was going with that was a lot of the times when people embark upon these PDSA cycles, they'll do a little planning, a lot of doing, and very little studying and acting so that you get that learning uh, to occur. So this is where I always emphasize the importance of doing all four of those steps and then you're well suited to, you know, have a logical chain of events that would help you bridge to a larger uh, scale. And, you know, you were talking about how our implementation has been unique. I, I don't know if it's been that unique, but that's the kind of method we've been following. And if I was to offer any advice to, to other organizations, you know, try to be that systematic. It does take time. It takes effort. It takes reflection. Well, those are the kinds of things that we've emphasized here to try and uh, get where we are today and in the future. James, one of the things that you mentioned uh, just now that really resonated with me was this idea of focusing on a few key innovation initiatives and making sure you get through the whole continuous PDSA cycle. Because it reminds me of, I've, I've seen um, you know some other organizations where you're right, they may have you know, a hundred different projects going on and ends up being a hundred different pilots, a hundred different apps. And then what's happened is nothing ends up becoming part of the standard of care because there's just so much experimentation going on as opposed to, hey, let's actually focus on a couple of innovation initiatives, really do, do the full PDSA so that way the things that are successful become standard of care and we can um, actually fully implement it across the board and, and make and kind of elevate to a new standard of care. I think that's such a powerful point because may, maybe that doesn't get as much um, fanfare in the media if you can't say you're doing a hundred different you know innovative projects. But when you think about, I guess the the outcome for the care team and the patients and having a better standard of care. Like for me at least, like ultimately that that's that's a better outcome even if it's not as as you know. Um, popular, I guess, in the news articles. Um, I, I, I think the outcome is more important. So I love the fact that you, you've you really focused on, hey, let's do the PDSA thing right. 
Let's make, let's have a real impact. Let's not measure success by just how many projects we do. But let's measure success by the overall impact on, on our patients. I, I love that. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, that's great. So um, James, there's this old saying by Peter Drucker, uh, what gets measured gets managed. It's one of the, the most famous uh, quotes of his. And decision-making in healthcare is critical to improving patient outcomes. You know, this PDSA studying the actual impact you need to be able to measure to manage what's going on and to deliver the best care for patients. This is absolutely critical as well. So I was wondering if you could share your thoughts on why collecting patient reported outcomes data uh, from across a surgical episode is so important and how patient facing technologies like seamless MD and digital patient engagement help with this process? Well, that's a really great question. Uh, thank you for raising it. First, I want to come back to the quote by Peter Drucker. Mm -hmm. I think you said something like, what gets measured gets managed. And I would say that definitely that's a famous quote and, and absolutely true. And there may be a little bit more to it. I'm trying to remember, I think it was Albert Einstein who had another similar quote. And I don't think I'll be able to quote it verbatim, but it goes something like, you know, not everything that uh, can be counted counts and not everything that counts can be counted. Mm -hmm. uh, is, is it something like that loosely? Yeah, yeah. But essentially what I think the message is, is that yes, you can, you can count and measure things, but there are some, let's call them intangibles, things that are not easily quantifiable that actually matter as much or, or perhaps even more in some uh, perspectives. So, you know, here's where I want to provide some balance to Peter Drucker's statement. Absolutely, it makes sense to manage, uh, measure things, to manage them. And I would say that in these, you know, initiatives where uh, government of Ontario has been supporting proposals, they definitely have come uh, along with some measurable uh, requirements, right? Some some things that they can hold uh, initiatives like this to account. And they've done a great job of thinking through the measurement systems that would allow us to look back and say, okay, we were successful or maybe we had some room to improve in certain areas. And so those, I, I won't get into the details right now, but those measurement schemes are multifaceted. Things like, you know, how many people uh, are enrolled, the usage, the elements that are most useful to patients, and that will help from research and development too, in terms of going down the avenues that um, the end user, customer, patient, client, are really wanting and needing. So this information is really important and allows us to track and make those quantifiable statements about cause and effect. Now, the other part of it is what you mentioned, patient reported outcome measurement. What I think is uh, kind of neat actually in terms of having technology play a part in this is that you will enable people or empower people to be able to provide you know, their, their opinions, their experience through technology. Whereas traditionally we would be sending out surveys, we may be doing focus groups, we may be interviewing people and other qualitative methods, but that is resource intensive. Mm. This puts it uh, in the hands of people to actually make that a little easier. So that's one point I wanted to make. The other is that you know, you'll get the lived experience of people through gathering their, their uh, patient reported outcome measures, not only the physiological outcomes, but other outcomes as well in terms of their psychology, mm -hmm. their, their healing, their uh, experience with the care that's, that's being delivered and 
you know, their own healing and, and um, recovery mm -hmm. in this case from a surgery episode. So I hope that answers the question. There's two sides of it. There's the quantitative and the qualitative. And I'm suggesting that both are important and that, you know, there are multiple methods that, by which we can collect that information. But it is super, super important. So I agree with Peter Drucker, but I also want to balance it out with uh, what I think Einstein said. Yeah, no, that's excellent. I think, you know, the addition of what Einstein said is fits so well with patient reported outcome measures, because it is kind of this qualitative measurement that is historically a little difficult to actually track. But if you're having technology that benefits the patient by providing their care and helping them guide their way through their, their episode, but then also allow them to, or empower them to input some of that information, it really does balance it. So that's a, that's a fantastic summary. I really, really enjoyed that answer. I was curious when, when COVID first hit, um, you know, Sioux Area Hospital was really quick to adapt a lot of their care to, to meet, you know, the virtual world that was needed uh, across many different areas. Now that Canada is starting to open up a little bit following the pandemic, what aspects of patient communication do you think that virtual has maybe completely replaced? And, and what do you think would go back to being face-to-face? -face? You know, that's a difficult question to answer. Of course, I wish I had a crystal ball so I could take a look. But one thing I will say is, again, my opinion, these are all my opinions, really. I don't think we're going backwards. I think the world has changed. And, you know, that's trite. Um, many people say that, but I think it's uh, going to be hard to un undo and go back to the way things were. I, I would like to see certain things come back to uh, the way things were in terms of having those human interactions, right? I mean, here we are right now talking through Zoom and having a virtual experience. That is a lot different than if we were sitting in the same room. And I look forward to the day that I can meet you both. But, you know, you get so much more from an interpersonal interaction that encounter that uh, you don't get through, uh, you know, this type of medium. So I would like to see some things, um, you know, go back to the way they were, but I think the world's changed. And what I could see is virtual care replacing some of the quick appointments that could be done, you know, over the phone. You know, it's always nicer to, to do it face-to-face, -face, so to speak. In terms of other replacements, I, I don't think I'd hazard many more guesses as to what things would look like. I could definitely see that in the future, there may be even more innovation. If we think, you know, um, 20 years out, who knows what the possibilities are. Right. I, I personally don't think that we'll be carrying phones around for forever, mm -hmm. maybe not even that much longer, but something's going to come along to change the, the, uh, the landscape again and um, change that whole scientific revolution of innovation and so on and so forth. So look forward to that. I'm probably not the best person to hypothesize. Uh, maybe think you might want to interview a philosopher mm. of science, but uh, for now, that's all I've got to offer. Well, well James, I, I think you make a great point that at the very least, a lot of the, the quick appointments, um, many of them probably won't go back face to face. I mean, I, I, I know personally, both as a patient, but also having you know, help to deliver healthcare um, as, a, as a patient. And we don't like uh, traveling over an hour and then waiting for half an hour or more in the waiting room just for a five minute quick checkup. And certainly on the provider side, you, you don't enjoy having your patients travel all the way there and wait a long time for a five minute quick low risk checkup. So I, I think there are some things like you mentioned, those interactions with both parties hope can we can do more virtual for that. But you're right, I think a lot of the 
the, the more intense interactions that need a lot of care and thoughtfulness can really be enhanced by that face-to-face -face connection. I mean, even, even in our company, I think Alan would agree with this, right? Um, as we've had um, more folks back in the office uh, in the recent past, I mean, yeah, we've been, you know, talking virtually, we have the camera on during Zoom, but there's certain things that are just so much more enhanced um, being in the same room that that is hard to replicate online. And, and, and certainly, like you mentioned, the same for, for caring for patients. So uh, it will be interesting to see what, what does stay face-to-face um, -face versus virtual. Um, and maybe one last question for you, James, before we get into our, our lightning round. Um, and I know you share a lot of great advice uh, already today, but is there any other advice you would provide to healthcare IT, digital and innovation leaders regarding if they're looking at adopting and implementing a, a digital patient engagement strategy, any other advice that they should be um, keeping in mind? I think the only thing I would say here is to consult widely and to have that sort of uh, awareness of what's going on around, not only within your own sphere of influence and uh, you know scope, but also more broadly. When I look at the Ontario landscape, you know, I can see that there's a great future ahead in terms of systems integration in various ways. And so for anyone uh, embarking in this journey, I would say, make sure you do as much consultation as you possibly can. Speak to the IT department, make sure they're aware of what your, your hopes and dreams are so that they can advise you on the technical side of things as an example. You know, we've already touched on the, the patient side of things. Who better to tell us what uh, they need and uh, what the gaps might be in, in care delivery, but patients themselves. So can, having that um, stakeholder group is important to have at the table. And then just having that situational awareness in general to, to uh, think of any, anyone you can consult with to help guide the process. Again, I talked about um, the importance of co-designing, co-leading, co-experiencing. We're, we're, we're creating new we're pathways here. We are in a new frontier and the more help you can get, more input you can have, the more engagement you'll have, as well as uh, it takes a village to make these things uh, happen successfully. So, you know, you want to have as many helpers and, and uh, supporters as possible. It's such fantastic advice, James. I, I think, you know, Alan, I could definitely um, confirm that from our partners like 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 Sioux Area Hospital, where it's truly been a, a team approach where you've engaged all the different stakeholders early and often, and, and they get that sense of ownership over the initiative from the very beginning. The the impact on, on the results is just tremendous. So great advice on really making a team effort. I love that. Um, so maybe just to, to round things out today, Alan, I'll pass it back to you for uh, the lightning round. Awesome. Sounds good. So uh, James, we'll kick over to the, what we call the, the fast five lightning round. It's essentially okay. just five questions for our audience to get to know you a little bit better. Okay. Um, and so we've changed a couple of them up today, but number one, what inspired you to work in healthcare in the first place? Well, I mentioned earlier on that I had worked in business uh, prior to healthcare, and that was the airline industry, where I worked at Vancouver International Airport for 13 years. And that was you know, I'm, I'm in the 90s, I'm dating myself now, but I'll tell you that the whole industry shifted and shifted dramatically. And now we have one national carrier. And so when I, when I saw the writing on the wall, I, I knew that I wanted to uh, help people. I actually did some soul searching and, and uh, discovered that wholeheartedly, uh, rather to go, rather than stay in private industry to move to a health field. And um, did my second degree in 
and moved in that direction and haven't regretted any any aspect of that ever since. There's a lot of uh, richness to this work uh, and definitely a lot of rewards. Uh, there are many challenges, but I, I have to say I've never looked back and there's always you know new things happening and that's why we've been here today talking about innovation and all the possibilities that are out there. That's awesome. Um, question two, how has an apparent failure set you up for greater success? I have to go back to the element of learning, right? I don't consider failures particularly negative. Uh, they are learning opportunities, right? And so I don't know if you've either of you heard the expression fail fast. Mm -hmm. The idea that, you know, if you're going to be trialing new things, if it's safe and if there aren't severe consequences, Sometimes it's a good thing to, uh, you know, learn quickly by failing. And so back to the PDSA cycle, failure is uh, part of the process, right? Failure is a strong word, but I would say, you know, having iterative cycles of learning mm -hmm. is, is a process. So maybe you don't always get to where you want it to go first try, but it is important to keep on trying. So never throw in the towel and continue those cycles of learning, which includes sometimes not hitting the mark. But again, we'll grow from that. If we study it and act on those learnings, we'll get somewhere and get somewhere fast. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's excellent. Uh, question three, would you rather have super strength, super speed, or the ability to read people's minds? Ooh, that's interesting. Um, super strength, super speed? Yep, or, or, or mind reading. Yeah. Okay. I think I would have to go with the latter. Okay. And the reason why I say that is because if, you know, we could do something as miraculous as read minds, you would end up with super speed and superpowers because part of the work here that's so important, and I'll bring this back to our discussion around implementation and innovation, is, is, is the soft stuff is the hard stuff. Mm. And what I mean by that is, you know, we can have great blueprints and we can have great plans and we can have great, uh, you know, scientific literature to back up our plans. And, and all of that is great in terms of, of architecture. But when it comes to the, the soft stuff, and here I'm talking about interpersonal mm -hmm. relations, conflict resolution, politics, the ability to engage people, those sorts of soft skills, as they're called, are, I would say, the harder things to actually navigate and do well at. Mm. So, you know, that's the key to being able to implement new things and do it well, is to have those soft skills and do them well. Uh, so so if, if you can mind read, then you could understand the psychology of other people as they go through the lived experience of change. And you could anticipate what their concerns are, what their hopes and dreams might be. And then that might put you in better stead to address those things uh, rather than, you know, the the sometimes cumbersome experience that we have as humans as learning the hard way. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll make a, uh, a fumble here or there or, or a stumble here or there, but we can always, you know, turn uh, circle back and, and, um, and make things better and, and fix those, those missteps. But uh, if you could mind read, boy, that would get you places a lot quicker. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point. I, I love the, you know, uh, the mention of the soft skills actually being the harder skills. And it's often heard that those are actually more difficult to teach. It's not, it's not something that you can just pick up the same way as a technical skill might be. Right. So yeah, great point. 
Question four, what is something in healthcare you believe that others might find insane? Hmm. Well, I'd have to say the complexity of it. Hmm. Now, by insane, I, I, I interpret that term as meaning incredibly difficult, mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily, uh, you know, nonsensical. Although sometimes things seems, it's hard to make sense of things, but mm -hmm. we deal with human beings here. We're dealing with people who get sick in different ways and are treated in a multitude of ways and healed in different ways. So when you have that kind of uh, complexity to, a, to, to your enterprise, whatever you're trying to do, that, uh, and then you add on care delivery, mm -hmm. that is so complex. I mean, just think of the number of different specialties there are, for example. Let's think of the number of different sectors within healthcare delivery there are. Let's think of your own personal experience of how you've come into the world and interacted with healthcare uh, right up into the point where we leave this earth. You know, there's a lot of different experiences in there that make this such a complex, uh, you know, interaction mm -hmm. that it's really, really hard to be, uh, you know, on top of everything. It's really hard to rally people uh, around certain things. It's hard to, you know, predict. It's, it's uh, sometimes, you know, a little insane. So mm -hmm. that's what I would uh, hold up and say that is unique. Well, I would say it's totally unique to healthcare, but certainly healthcare is one of the most complex environments uh, that are out there and certainly one of the most complex I've ever worked in. Yeah. You know, James, I think it's a really great point. Um, I think sometimes, you know, if, if you're an outsider, you haven't lived in the complex healthcare environment and the hospital environment, um, you don't actually realize how complex it is. And sometimes if you're from maybe the, the tech world, um, your immediate gut tells you, oh, gosh, we can just apply technology to solve this problem. Why hasn't anyone done that before? And then when you step foot into a hospital and you start to learn how complex the patient journey is and um, complex the hospital operations are in the day to day, that's when you start to realize, OK, it's not as simple as just writing some code and, and solving these problems. There's a, there's a lot more to it than that. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's a fantastic point. It, it is way more complex than, than most people would realize until you actually have to, to live it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And actually, I think that was one of Josh's answers once I, I quizzed him the same lightning round. That was his answer as well. So okay. definitely makes sense. Uh, last question that we have for you, James, this is more yeah. of a COVID-19 lockdown related question. Uh, what is one hobby or activity you've gotten into since the beginning of the pandemic? I would have to say becoming more um, familiar with nature hmm. because having to be in lockdown not being able to go to a restaurant or a movie or things like that, you know, it's, it's invited me to uh, experience more of what I dabbled in. Mm -hmm. uh, things like hiking, kayaking, just uh, being around solitude, I think has been really, really uh, um, rewarding. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I thank every day uh, my higher power for having health and mm -hmm. being able to, uh, to enjoy everything that nature has to offer it definitely has bring a lot of it brings a lot of um, enjoyment and and satisfaction to living through a very difficult period mm -hmm. in world history yeah no that's excellent yeah i feel like it's it almost has like medicinal properties just being in nature and there's a lot to learn from nature that's mm -hmm. awesome uh, yeah. James, that's technically all the questions that we had prepared for today. Um, but I do want to just say, like, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing like a ton of your wisdom and lots of insights in this episode. And 
Uh, I hope other innovation leaders out there can hear this episode if they're looking to explore different innovation in healthcare, especially there's a lot of kind of uh, pearls of wisdom in that conversation. So thank you again for coming on the show today and, and joining us. Well, you're too kind. Uh, I, I hope that someone finds uh, some of what I've said somewhat interesting. Um, it's been a real pleasure to be here. Uh, great to work with your company and I look forward to you know, continued success and more innovations and exciting things to come. Amazing. Thanks, Thank you so James. much, James. Thank you.